moms are great. Uh, one of the things that we've done over the years is uh, on, on Mother's Day, and it's happened in a lot of different ways. Uh, Tracy and I have taught together. Sometimes she teaches alone, that sort of thing. And it really often has depended on her time and what's going on in her life. And uh, she got excited about this, and uh, we, we were planning to do a combo, and uh, like six weeks ago, she said, I don't want you on the stage. Um, and I was like, Not okay, like I take it you have an idea. And she goes, I have the idea, and it's well-developed. It's way ahead of time, which is not normal. No. Normal, it is like she's working on this on Saturday, which terrifies <laughs> me to death, right? Um, but this was done for a long period of time. I think mm -hmm. God's put something on her heart. So I ask you to uh, give my wife a warm welcome. Good morning. Thank you so much. Oh my, I feel so honored to be able to be in front of you and to share a little bit about what God's put on my heart around Christmas time. I started looking at the Christmas story and I have been there ever since. And he has talked to me about things that I really want to share with you today. Um, so thank you for letting me have this privilege. Um, last year, Blair and I talked about happiness. And I don't know if any of you remember that or not, but I said I'd give you some updates. Um, there were moments of happiness, so I want to show you a little bit. Um, I have a granddaughter named Ember Lynn that we added to our family. And that's next. Next. There it is. There she is. And within her first um, few hours of life, she was actually med-flighted to Riley for difficulties breathing. And God took great care of her. We had no idea what the outcome would be, but she is beautiful. And you can see the next slide. There she is. She's happy and she's chunky. I just love it. So there's pictures of her. And then the next moment of happiness is, of course, our grandson, Liam, which we adore at four and a half. And there he is with us hanging out. He did a like a line, not repelling, but like a line across Tennessee, zip line across Tennessee and had a great time. And there we are on the carousel. He knows when Lolly and Pop are in the house that we come to play. Another moment of happiness is someone gifted us with a vacation that we got to go to Tennessee, and you can just see some of the pictures there. And this picture cracks me up of Heather because this is like real Mother Day, real Mother's Day, real mothers. Liam wanted to go into the arcade, and she was not saying no, but she was just putting her foot down firmly to say, hmm, we're not going to do that. And he's like, oh, I can just push you into it. And I feel like sometimes I am in that same seat where I want exactly what I want, and I don't want anyone else to tell me no. Actually, Blair and I were driving in the car a couple weeks ago, and I was so mad at him. Okay, kids, don't try this at home, but I was so mad at him that I punched him in the shoulder. I haven't done it in 20 years, and I'm sorry, please don't take me to jail, but I was so mad, I was so afraid of what he was gonna do, and I was protecting myself. And so I thought about this, okay, what causes this anxiety, this response that's inside of me? And James 1, 1 through 3 tells us why. So if you have your phone app or your Bible, you can look at that, or otherwise, it's up here on the screen. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you can't get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend it or what you get on your pleasure. James says when we argue and fight with each other, it's all about your wants. It's all about what you want, like this next picture of the latest iPhone or maybe a nice car. You argue with your mom or dad about a computer that works, a better one with like a touch screen. You vacation. Some of us that are older maybe want the intangible things like we want respect, we want to be loved, we want to belong somewhere. 
But I really want to get to the nitty-gritty and look at that passage instead of from a perspective of your neighbor or you, 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 or your coworker or what they want that get you in trouble or argue with you. What about you? I want to change those to the eyes. We're going to change it to I desire it. I have to have it. I covet it. I have to get it. I want it. I have to have it. I ask for it. I ask for it. I want to receive it. I ask for it. I want to spend it. I want to get it. That's what James is saying over and over and over again. I, 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 I. And sometimes I want a whole bunch of things. And when I want something, I don't know about you, but I try a bunch of ways to get what I want. And when I run out of ways of pleasing myself, I realize that I never even asked God if that's what he wanted for me. And what's left? Often it's a puddle of sin. There's consequences. And the Holy Spirit comes to me ever so graciously to convict me to stop spending on my pleasures. I can confess it, but it doesn't always take away the consequences of the messes I make. But when I drop my selfishness in exchange for his motive of selflessness, he will help me make amends with whoever I've made the mess with. Because nothing is mine to spend. I don't own anything. Everything is his. Everything. Our children, our homes, our food, our vacations, our talents, our friends. They're his. We are just temporary caretakers. I can't own something that isn't mine. So it matters how we treat each and every one of those things. We're stewards of things, not spenders. It's a simple shift, but it's instead of acting like we just know that everything's a gift, we live like it's a gift, and we're willing to give it away. So what happens if we confess, we live like everything is God's, our motives are pure, and it still doesn't take away a want deep inside? That's a more complex question that I want to get to this morning. And in scripture, I find a wanter, just like me, just like you, and her response captured my attention. And then what God did with that just made me love him even more. I just want to stop and pray um, just for a minute before we get into the story. Oh God, you are the king of our heart. Will you be the shadow that hides us? Will you be the anchor that settles us when the storms come. And as sometimes in my spirit I feel stormy, will you just take that and calm that? Knowing that everything is yours, this morning is yours, and the people in here are yours, and you have something to say. So allow me to get out of the way and just to hear from you and speak these words of the story. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, here's the story of this woman I've been getting to. She had a reputation of being very holy and faithful and blameless. She was well known in her community. She served God and she was of priestly descent, which was a big deal in their culture at that time. Now, here's a woman, just like I said, who lived like everything came from God. People knew her by her service. She lived like her gift or her life was a gift because she gave it away to others. She knew God, the creator and giver of all, knew her knew her want, and though her motives were good, she said no. Her righteousness, her serving, her following him did not stop the wanting. I find that very interesting. What's more, because of that no, her life had other consequences. She was kept out. It kept her from joining the women's storytelling, the temple gatherings, in favor of others. The market was a place of shame. 
And she carried it on her shoulders day after day, year after year. What she lacked, she lacked, she lacked. And I wonder if what she lacked, she tried to make up for by observing all the things that everybody would see her doing. I don't know. But what I do know is what she wanted, her husband also wanted. He'd been praying about it, not just at home, but also in the temple. And that's where we find him. He's out of town praying, and he's burning incense to God on behalf of the sins of others. And he's praying for that want despite the many years of no. I find it odd that scripture does not mention whether or not she stopped praying. But I think that silence speaks. Perhaps she closed the door on the prayer possibility just the way her body had. But God was on the move. And when he told the priest that the miracle was on the way, what did he do? How did he respond? He disagreed with God, and he was put on mute. The 19-mile-long journey home through the Rocky Mountains, where thieves were in waiting in the heated desert, was a quiet walk home. I imagine her looking out the window just to see if she can see him coming around the bend. She's waiting for a hug, a kiss, affirmations of being missed, a reunion of hearts. At least that's how I see myself when, my, when Blair's out of town. And then I see myself going into this whole conversation of, okay, what's the trip like? What, who was there? Who did you talk to? How was the temple? What did it feel like to be amidst all that smoke of incense in the temple? What did you see? What did you pray? And as those fireball questions are flying out, nothing, no words. This righteous man who had plenty to say in the temple and his once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to talk to God was stripped of his words. And she was left wanting in a whole new way. At first, she wouldn't have any idea that disbelief had robbed him of his words. She just felt the newness of his silence. Somehow, they figured it out. We know he could write from later in the scripture. Could she read? I don't know. But either way, guess what? They had to figure out a brand new way to communicate. And then guess what? Their want was realized. In their older age, a baby was on the way. So what does she do? She goes into hiding for five months buckles herself down, and I think, what? Wouldn't you want to go and tell everybody what's happening? All the shame you've borne, you're going to get to go out and tell these women and these men, look, God's favor's on me. Was she giddy with excitement? Or was she preparing herself for sleepless nights and a life of interruptions? Or was she waiting every day to make sure it was true? Was she anticipating impending gloom? You know, something great happens, and the next moment, a joy stealer whispers into your soul. It tries to take it away. What was she doing in that waiting? Scripture's silent. And in five months, she finally speaks. So if you have your Bible or your phone apps or at home, if you'd like to open up to Luke 1, 25, she's going to tell us something. She tells us, The Lord has done this for me. And in these days, he has shown me favor and taken away my disgrace from among the people. There it is. She says it out loud. The Lord is in control. 
He saw her, he heard her, he favored her, and in this instance, he gave her her desire, and now she's no longer disgraced. All of those things she did to earn her good reputation did not make her feel like she had earned God's favor. It didn't even take away her disgrace. And unless you think she was just being dramatic, Luke actually pens it. He has taken away my disgrace. Why in the world was she disgraced? She couldn't control what happened inside of her body. But if we go back to Exodus 22, we will see the verse that says, None will miscarry or be barren in the land. And in Deuteronomy 7:14, If you pay attention to these laws and are careful to follow them, this is from God, then the Lord your God will keep his covenant with, of love with you. He will bless the fruit of your womb. You will be blessed more than any other people. None of your men or women will be childless. Although she was not in the generation of people who this promise was given to, remember, this was a community that passed things on through oral tradition. And those verses would have been passed on like stories and carried on for generations. Barrenness was a sign of sin and a removal of God's favor. And Elizabeth felt it stifling. She internalized it so much that she called it my disgrace. In Hebrew, it's my insult, my scorn, my shame, my reproach, my dishonor. In today's um, times, I looked up a bunch of definitions, and I kind of fit a bunch together, and I just want to read kind of what a disgrace feels like. It's the uncomfortable sensation we feel in front of others when we believe that we are flawed and have no safe haven from the judgment of others or the judging gaze, and are unworthy of love and belonging. She lived all those years with disgrace, and it marked her. This picture is of an older woman's hands that are wrinkled. Someone like that is going to have a baby. But that journey marked her. It will mark us for good or for evil when we carry disgrace. But now God was wanting to mark her. He met her in the public setting and showed his favor with a child. And it penetrated the cords of her shame and cut them loose. So why, again, was she hiding? I read her story over and over and over. And then, one day, I thought about the weight of her internal disgrace. The stuff we don't see in each other behind closed doors. The pain that existed perhaps even between her and her husband. He would have been shamed too. I believe that just as God rewrote the story of her public life, he was rewriting and reconstructing her private life. He had time with her, there was quiet with her, and he was with her. And in those five months, the creator cultivated a shift in her and his favor dripped down into the deepest wounds. I think she finally internalized what we know to be true as readers just, just skim over the text. God's favor was always with her. But now she was free to feel loved 
and valued. Maybe she felt a little bit like this next song that reminds us that nobody cares for us like Jesus. We had plans of different women singing the song and they fell through and I thought about scrapping it, but I really want you to hear the heart of it and Louise so graciously stepped up and said that he would sing it. So you give it a listen. Sing a song If I have a testimony If I have anything at all No one's ever cared for me Like Jesus Is faithful children tell the children let this be their memory and all my treasure was in heaven and you were everything to me and no one did Still enough for me. Still all I. 
What do you want to be remembered? What do you want your children to remember about you? This woman is old and gray, and all her days are numbered on the earth, and she has a baby. I could stop right here, and I could ask you to think about where his joy might show up if you were willing to give up your disgrace and exchange it for his love. But there is more. She's in for a collision of grace. A knock on the door, and a visitor arrives. Who could it be? The baby in her womb leaps, and she recognizes the voice. It's her niece, Mary. Mary's in the house, and scripture said she is actually in Zechariah's house. Make no mistake, there's a reason Zechariah is mentioned. He would normally be the one who would have greeted her, gotten all the hospitality items ready, ushered the servants to do what they needed to do, but he has been stilled. And while Zechariah is learning more about the God to whom he prays and followed righteously is all about, it makes a way for Elizabeth to rise up and speak. And she steps forward. And what does she say? In Luke 1, 42 through 45, she was filled with the Holy Spirit and in a loud voice, she says, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child that you will bear. But why? Why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord would come to me? As soon as the sound of your voice reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped, leaped for joy. She'd never felt that. And this baby leaped. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord said to her would be accomplished. Elizabeth is in the house. I wish I could say that the way they say it. She's in the house. She shows up with grand beauty and strength because of the Holy Spirit. And out of that connection, she speaks blessings and affirmation and praise to Mary. Young Mary, who responded in faith as a servant of the living God to an unbelievable, impossible, life-altering circumstance with Mother Jesus. 
and soon she would face the cultural pain of something that could sour her servant's heart. Because although that little baby who leaped in Elizabeth's womb for joy was the messenger of good news, and now tucked deep inside of Elizabeth, cleared her disgrace, the gift did not cause her to forget those years that she walked in pain in the marketplace, in the temple. She referenced it when she said, why me? Why am I so favored? And I'm sure she heard those words ringing over and over and over and over again. But now, I think God had changed that. It was no longer a statement about insecurity from disgrace, but about her humility from his grace. And her five-month chapter with God started something new, but it did not change the reality of her culture, just like it doesn't change what happens when you go outside this door. Elizabeth knew that although some may believe the ridiculousness of the Son of God being born in a young woman who had not yet been with a man is possible, most would not believe it. This path of following God would find shame knocking on Mary's door from family, her household, her neighborhood, the marketplace, and the temple. And they would disgrace her, discuss her, and disclude her. Who else could speak to that situation? Who else knew what Mary would face in three months when she left Elizabeth's house and went on that journey 90 miles through mountainous terrain back home and into marriage with gossip whispers behind her back? Elizabeth. And in this moment, for such a time as this, Elizabeth stood face to face with Mary in a grace collision that the Holy Spirit had spent five months loving Elizabeth through. Elizabeth, a wanter, just like you, just like me, recognized that the giver of everything was here, and she responded out of gratefulness and elevated someone else with blessing. God alone uses our past pain to lift up someone else. Not shame, not disgrace, no way, no how, not on Elizabeth's watch. Mary, you're blessed. Learn from me. Don't carry that disgrace around day after day. Instead, let me put a cloak of blessing on you. So when you go out of here, you'll carry that. Who else would think of it? Who else could orchestrate something like that? We read those words and they're just pages, but they're stories of humans and life interaction and God getting deep and down. When we let him enter that deep space of disgrace and shame, he not only heals it, he uses it for others. And although Mary, or although others may have thought that Mary went to Zechariah's house in order to help care for Elizabeth, God knew her hurry towards Elizabeth's house was running towards deep care and blessing. And it prepared her to cloak herself with favor of God rather than the cultural shame. Your story is no different than mine. I don't know what you carry behind closed doors and what you see and what you do and how you treat people, how you steward God's things. But I know sometimes we all act out of our disgrace or we treat people unkindly. I know that happens. I want to remind you that God's favor is still with you and he's just waiting for you to talk to him. Like Elizabeth, it's really hard to get that into the core of our soul. It's easier to carry the other stuff. So I want to ask you a few questions today. 
Have you ever felt the weight of your want? You may have been left off a team, pushed aside from that award or congratulations, demoted, fired, or lost your friends or a spouse. Not because of what others did, but because of what you did. You created a mess and now you live with it. Not only that, but your circle knows about it and you carry it. Own that sin. Accept his forgiveness and turn from it. Super easy to say, heavy to live, I know, heavy to live, day after day. But instead of gossip whispers, I want you to listen to the Spirit's whisper that you don't have to live with insecurity from disgrace, but with humility from his grace. He wants a grace collision with you. So I'll ask you a few questions. What disgrace do you carry that you need to confess, turn from, and let God's favor rest? Or, in the quietest space, in the real-life space of who you are behind closed doors and how you act, have you heaped shame on someone else? Are you a heaper of shame or a healer of shame? Discernment is God's call to intercession, never default finding, Corey Ten Boom says, who lived through Auschwitz and survived. One of my favorite childhood heroes. Is there somewhere, number three, is there somewhere where the Holy Spirit is asking you to speak up and either use your past pain to lift up someone else or cloak someone else in his grace? Maybe this morning you're way back at the beginning and you've recognized yourself with all those wants and all the arguments and responding wrong to others, the fight in the car on the way here, last night, whatever happened. What do you need to be a God steward instead of a self-spender. We need to think about those things. Elizabeth reflected Jesus when she was filled with the Holy Spirit. He blesses us and tells us that we have every blessing that we need. So this next portion, I'm going to ask you to do something weird. I'm breaking the rules. I know Blair does normally, but I'm going to ask for all the guys to go into one of three places to pray for the women here. So you don't have to pray out loud. It can just be silently. So in the back, if some of you move there or to the left and to the right. I know. I'm sorry. You have to get up. But I want to ask you if you would go to one of those sections and just stand together to pray. I'd like you to pray for the courage of your significant women in your life to believe that they are blessed they are graced, and they are unashamed in your presence and in the presence of God. Men, as you pray, women, if you'd be willing to come to the front of the stage, and we're going to say a verse together before we go out. Because God promises, promises us that we have been given every blessing, every blessing, whatever you need, whatever you're facing. He's there, and he's given it to us. So we're going to say this verse together. Ephesians 1.3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Remember that this week as you go out. He has blessed you with every spiritual blessing you need for whatever you face. You're gifted, you're graced, you're blessed. His favor is on you. When something's wrong, take it, own it, admit it, change it.
can work through it. Now for the guys, if you would just lift your head, I'd like us all to say this verse before we go out to remind us all that we've been given everything, every blessing from him. Ephesians 1, 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. These are not just words. This is real. Let him get down into the heart of who you are. I'm praying for you. I've been praying for you for weeks. I don't know why God put this on my heart. Just two weeks ago, I had to ask someone to forgive me. You know, maybe it was a week ago. I don't know. But it happens often lately. I, I don't know. But I just want you to know he cares, and he's cloaking you with his favor. And he's loving you. And he's got these beautiful men around us, surrounding us with prayer and with love. So I hope you go this week and act out of that grace and that favor. So I'm just going to pray before we go. Lord God, uh, you are in the heavens, and sometimes you feel far away, but you are right here. So will you draw close? You've said you give us every spiritual blessing that we need, and we need your cloak of grace as we go out. And some of us need to give it to someone else. Some of us need to watch our words, watch our hands, um, mother differently, father differently, speak to our coworkers differently. So God, will you give us the grace and the strength and the blessing to do that? May we move and act and breathe as your children who are so, so infinitely loved by you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you guys for being willing. We shall see you hopefully next week.